Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner podcast devotees and followers. The great Matt Geib here with you once again as we continue the journey in the book of Psalms. Last time we left you, we just had finished up Psalm 1, and I felt like it would be better than to try to go into Psalm 2 and finish that, that we'd come back to Psalm 2. We are in Psalm 2 because we said both Psalm 1 and 2 provided an introduction for all the rest of the 148 psalms. So after we finish Psalm 2 today, then we will choose out another psalm. I believe it will be Psalm 8. There's some wonderful truths there that we will go to next because we're not going to go in order. We'll just pick out certain ones um, that some of you have expressed that you want to cover and some that are in my heart and mind to cover. So let's look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is the national version of Psalm 1, we could say, in a nutshell. Psalm 1 is all about blessed is the man or woman who follows God, and cursed or not blessed is the one who doesn't follow God. We've said before in our introductions that uh, blessed is the nation, Psalm 2 is about this, that follows God, or cursed or without blessing is those nations who do not follow God. So I will read Psalm 2, and then we will break down some of the uh, passages, some of the verses and words here. The Messiah's triumph and kingdom, Psalm 2. So this again, the way this is headed, the heading here for Psalm 2, uh, it does speak of the Messiah. It does speak prophetically of Christ within some of these verses, the way they're phrased, and we'll get into that. The Messiah's triumph and kingdom. Why do the nations rage and the people plot or imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king, O my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces with a potter's vessel. Verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. So that's the reading of Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's look at just real uh, briefly at that middle portion. I will declare, verse 7, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, I've begotten you. 
Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as an inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That there is speaking. That's a prophetic declaration of the ministry of Christ, especially in the end of the age when the uh, when the when Jesus comes back and uh, sets up the government of a new heaven and a new earth. He will have the nations. They will all bow down to him. That's prophetically speaking. He's talking to my son. That is Jesus Christ. And in a certain sense, he's also talking to us, his sons and daughters, and we're going to get into that. Psalm 2 can be described as four distinct voices of personification speaking. Number one, the resistance of the nations to Yahweh and his anointed, verses 1 to 3. The second distinct voice, Yahweh laughs mockingly at the nation's futile resistance to him and responding that he has his own king to exalt, verses 4 to 6. And distinct voice number three, Jesus, God's anointed, is shown here and declares himself to the nations, verses 7 to 9. And the fourth distinct voice, the psalmist exhorts leaders of the nations that they must worship and reverence the Lord and his Son, lest they incur his righteous anger. Verses 10 to 12. So those are, the, are four distinct voices that many scholars point out in this passage, this, these passages here in Psalm 2. Let's get right into it and break down some of these verses for you. Uh, verses 2 and 3. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot or imagine, I think the King James says, a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Wow, that could be quite a picture of what we see, especially in the last three to four years, uh, what has come to fruition in in our planet, in the United States, in North America, throughout the world, of the nations raging, and they're in tumult, right? They're uproarious, and uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, just people that are just not happy, people that are in a rage, people that are just taking the law into their own hands, a lot of things that are going on in the United States now, there's more crime now in the last couple of years than there's been for years. So people are raging, right? That's a picture of what's going on in our world today. They're rioting. They burned the cities here down in Portland a couple of years ago and even in Seattle. They took over one whole portion of the city. Why did the nations rage? And the people imagine. That's the same word that's used for meditate in Psalm 1. Um, the man of God meditates on the Lord. You know, that's, that's the same word that's used there, if you look at that word. Um, and why do they plot? The kings of the earth set themselves. They take counsel. Uh, so many things. There's so much just right out in the open, blatant, overt ungodliness, and people actually saying that as never before, declaring that. <clears throat> Let's take the first... Uh, voice here, the first metaphoric um, personified voice, the resistance of the nations to Yahweh and his anointed, verses 1 to 3. Why do the nations rage? 
or why do they uh, assemble in a tumultuous way is what that literally means. Some cross-references, Psalm 46, 6, Luke 18, 32, Acts 4, 25, Acts 17, 5, Luke 21, 25. I'll let you look those up. You can go study those. They, they are parallel to this verse here, to this phrase, um, and they will be also in the show notes if you go to the show notes of the podcast. Why do they plot or imagine a vain thing? And I could not help but think of this verse when I read that. Genesis 6, 5-7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think of that phrase. It was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And this, these were the words, of course, that he spoke to Noah when he commanded him to build the ark. It took 120 years. I'm wondering if God looks over the earth today and could very much say the same thing. The, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually of men, right? He saw the wickedness of man throughout the earth, right? Um, and yet I know that God is also raising up his people as a standard, his godly ones that will do great exploits in the last day. So as, as they say, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. It ain't over until the Lord says it's over. There's still hope for this planet. There's still hope for the nations, even, even though right now they're imagining many vain things. And that seems to be the continual intent of their heart, does it not? Uh, verse 2, rulers set themselves against the Lord. That is, they're resisting the Lord. I couldn't help but think. I had a verse down here, but it's not right. But you could go throughout the Gospels, and you could see how the Sadducees and Pharisees more and more resisted Jesus' ministry. You know, he healed a man on the Sabbath of a withered hand, and they said, oh, you shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath, right? Um, and, and he did other things, and they continually resisted him, right? More and more. They were resisting the, the, the um, anointed of God. They were resisting Yahweh. Acts 12, 1 and 2, I read that today. You know, there was great revival going on after Pentecost. The Holy Ghost fell. The disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost. They went forth and testified, and the church was added to in just a short time of 3,000 people. And Peter preached, and so many great things were going on. They were meeting in each other's houses, breaking bread together daily. And yet there, there were those that stood against that. And one of them was King Herod. It says in Acts 12, 1 and 2, he had Peter and James before him, and it says he, he stretched out his hand to vex. And that word in, in Greek means to trouble, to inflict, to treat badly, to, you know, persecute those in the church. And all, he put Peter in, in jail, and he had James, you know, killed. Very sad, but, the, but still... The gospel went forth in power, did it not? Let's look at some other references you can look at later. Jeremiah 5.5, 5. Jeremiah 5.5, 5. Proverbs 29.18. I'll read that one. Without revelation, it says...
without a, a spiritual revelation from God, I'm paraphrasing it, people cast off restraint. People cast off restraint. We, oh, we need God's revelation today. Oh, we need the Spirit of God to come down upon this planet, upon this nation, upon the whole world, because men are casting off restraint. We need that to bring proper restraint, proper law, proper order in a way that when men and women give their lives to Jesus Christ, they're controlled by the Spirit, and they're not raging like um, it says in the first verse here, right? So let's go on. Psalm 2, 4-6, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. See, the Lord's laughing at that. Because he's going to have the last word, is he not? The Lord shall hold them in derision, right? Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. See, the Lord's not going to let these things go on that are going on in the world forever. You know, that, that iniquity, that sin's going to build up to a point and then he's going to do something about it. He'll distress them. And, and he'll set up a standard against that wickedness. Uh, verse 6, Yet have I set my king, and who's he talking about there? On my holy hill, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus was set up as the standard, as the uh, first Adam, or the second Adam, as it were. That Right? Uh, uh, as a standard against wickedness. Yahweh was laughing and mocking at the nation's futile resistance to him, and responding, he has his own king, that is Jesus, verses 4 to 6, to exalt. This is the second personified voice of this psalm, right? He shall laugh. You can read some more uh, cross-references. Psalm 37, 12 and 13. Psalm 59, 8. Proverbs 1, 26, about God laughing at sinful, frail, weak man, right? Verse 5, he shall speak to them in his wrath. Cross-references, Psalm 50, 16 to 22. Psalm 110, 56. Zechariah 1, 15. And then verse 6, let's go to verse 6. I have set my king, King Jesus, amen, on my holy hill. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, I can paraphrase some of that. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, you know, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. And of his government it will go on forever and ever. I'm paraphrasing. And then Daniel 7.14 is another cross-reference there about the king. <clears throat> Let's look at the third point of personification. Jesus, God's anointed king, declares himself to the nations. Already kind of touched on that in the beginning when we were speaking the verses 7 to 9 really are about uh, prophetically of Jesus. Let's read them. Verses 7 to 9, Psalm 2. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth, whole earth, for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And again, this speaks to when the new heaven and the new earth are created, when Jesus is made King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow to him. It's also speaking of heaven. And, and he's going to break all those nations 
with his rod of iron and dash them to pieces, those that resist him, right? And he's going to be Lord. And it says here, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Yes, he's going to do that. And he is doing that. He's giving it to his son at the end of time. But even now, as his other sons, as the second, um, as the nation of the second Adam, the sons and anointed anointed sons and favored sons and daughters of God go forth with the gospel. He's going to give them the nations for an inheritance. I believe that. I believe there's going to be, even though much wickedness is going on now, I believe the glory of the Lord, like it says in Habakkuk, will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Great revival will happen, and we will be able to, even now I'm going to pray that we can inherit the nations right? For a possession for the Lord. Amen? I, I know a, a, an evangelist, a po- apostolic friend of mine who asks God for nations. Amen? And he goes out and he's a, he's a missionary and he's asking God for the nations. You can read more about the rule of Jesus in Matthew 28, 18, Ephesians 1, 20 and 22, or 2, 22 to verse 22, 1 Peter 3, 22, Revelation 1, 5, and 2, 26, and 27. I want to turn to, it'll only take a minute, I want to turn, we have some time here, to Ephesians, Ephesians, my, my probably one, my favorite book in the New Testament. I've studied it uh, three, four times now, and I want to read this verse here in Ephesians 1 for you. Just a second. Ephesians 1, 20 and 22. Ephesians 1, verse 20. Well, let's start a little further up. Let's start at verse 15. Therefore, I I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to pray for you and give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his callings. He's calling us, right, to represent him to the nations. That's one way I look at this. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us or in us who believe according to the working, and here we go, of his mighty power, here we go, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. See, that's the power that's backing the church up, that's backing the saints up, that's giving the nations to us as our inheritance and seated Christ on the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Amen? And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. King Jesus he will be worshipped. He will be praised. I can't help but think, as I'm, I'm sharing this message today, uh, just a week ago, we lost um, Queen Elizabeth, who had ruled for 70 years, such a long period of time, maybe some would say over a generation, such a stable, strong monarch, and yet she's gone now, you know, 
and, and it's impacting the whole world. They say there might be 700,000 people that view, uh, go to view her in her, um, where, where she's presented in a casket there, right? And yet King Jesus is so much mightier than that, so much more worthy, even though she was a very, very good woman, right? Uh, probably a Christian, some would say. But King Jesus is so much more worthy uh, and so much more powerful than that, right? <clears throat> Let's look at the fourth point of personification from the psalm. The psalmist exhorts leaders of the nations that they must worship and reverence the Lord and His Son, that is Jesus, lest they incur His righteousness or I'm sorry, his righteous anger. The psalmist exhorts leaders of the nations that they must worship and reverence the Lord and his son, lest they incur his righteous anger. And this takes us through the end of the chapter, verses 10 to 12. You know, just like I said, you're either going to bow willingly, or I haven't said this, but I've said it before, or you're going to be made to bow, because every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's the King of kings that he's the greatest. Whether you do that willingly, it's up to you or not. But in the end, you will bow. Psalm 2, 10 to 12. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Remember, we've learned uh, as Christians, and we've learned in this podcast, I believe, that the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of all knowledge is the fear of the Lord, right? Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and perish in the way, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled, but only a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Let's look at this phrase, very interesting phrase, kiss the sun. Kiss means just that, and in oriental custom it shows great honor and respect. The men would kiss each other when they met on each other's cheek, right? And they would bless each other. Genesis 27, 26 to 29, Jacob kissed Esau when they were reunited and reconciled, right? Genesis 31, 55, Hosea 13, 2, all right, are all about uh, this, this custom, right, of honor. Uh, even the sad, the most sad kiss, probably. Luke 22, 47 to 48, how sad, where Judas actually betrayed Jesus with this kind of kiss. Also, kiss the sun means to dispose or adjust oneself to in a way of honor. I said it was honor. To put in order, to fasten oneself to uh, uh, the Hebrew language, like the fasting of a tool or a bayonet to a rifle or a tool together. To fasten, all right? That's what, to be equipped or to touch gently. These are all connotations of this phrase. Um, like to touch gently, like we see in Ezekiel 3.13, where the cherubim's wings brush together ever so lightly, all right, can be a fastening or adjusting closely, right? Kiss the sun. Get close to him, right? A kiss can be used in figurative, <clears throat> poetic language, as used here, and also Psalm 85.10, 85.10, which says mercy and truth are met together. See, that's figurative language. That doesn't literally happen. Excuse me. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. It doesn't literally happen. That's figurative language. 
All right, Psalm 85.10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. All throughout the epistles, the New Testament, it talks about a holy kiss among the brethren. Romans 16.16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16.20, 2 Corinthians 13.12, 1 Thessalonians 5.26, 1 Peter 5.14. Those are some cross-references you can look at. This shows, this kissing, kiss the sun, is showing a vow of loyalty, you know. That's why it's so sad the way Judas kissed Jesus, right? Because he was being disloyal. He was lying. Showed a vow of loyalty, of being totally dependent on the one kissed. To honor your conqueror. That's what it also means. That you better kiss the son, he's telling these nations. You better honor him, because one day you're going to bow to him, right? John 1.12, Ephesians 1.5, 1 Corinthians 6.16, and 17, 1 Peter 2, 9, how to be identified with the Son, all right? Um, I'm going to read another verse since we have time. I'm going to go back to Ephesians. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 5. We're talking about identifying with this kiss by identifying with the Son, Jesus Christ. We're, we want to identify with Him. Blessed be the God and Father, this is verse 3 of Ephesians 1, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Here we go, verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus. See, kiss the son. Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He predestined us as to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We identify as sons. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. Galatians 3, 27 through 28. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus. Okay? Um, this kiss, one shows a loyalty or being dependent on the one kissed. Shows honor to the conqueror. Shows an identification with the Son, which we read in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. All right? And shows an expression of love, number four. What does this kiss show? An expression of love and worship. And we could talk about the woman in Matthew 26, 7, who broke that alabaster box of perfume. Some say worth a whole year's wages. And with her hair bowed down before Jesus and washed his feet. And those in the room, some of the disciples, they murmured and complained and said, what a waste of money. We could have used that toward the ministry, Lord. And he rebuked them and he said, this will be a memorial to me, what this woman Mary has done throughout eternity. Kissing the sun, an expression of love and worship. Number five, what does the kiss represent? A reconciliation that brings fellowship, right? Esau kissing Jacob. Genesis 33, 4. It brings fellowship, this kissing of the sun. Let's, let's go over them one more time. Shows a vow of loyalty, of being dependent on the one kissed. 
shows honor to the conqueror. You're either going to bow willingly or you're going to be made to bow. Shows an identity or identifying with the son. We read that, right? We're, we're sons adopted by him, right? Shows an expression of love and worship. Five, reconciliation that brings fellowship. Yes, we're reconciled to him. We kiss the son. We get close to him. We, we fasten ourselves to him as the Hebrew phrase means there, correct? Conclusion. We're talking about the lordship of Jesus. Amen? Talking about the lordship of Jesus. Let's read this scripture here. Psalm 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Let's read the cross-reference. I'm going to look that up too. Romans 14 and 11 and 12. Romans 14, 11 and 12. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, quoted Isaiah here in a little different way. And I want to read this to you. What we're talking about, we're talking about bowing down to the Lordship of Jesus, honoring Him as Lord, honoring Him as King. Let's look at verse 11 and 12 then. As we close out, we begin to close out here. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to be putting a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Amen. Amen. So, and the last thing I want to touch on when we're talking about kiss the sun, Song of Solomon 1 verse 2, Let me kiss him with the kisses of my mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Kiss the sun, adhere to him, be connected to him, come to a place of love, such love for him and intimacy with him. Uh, that you just love him all day long, that you have an intimate love relationship with him. That's what we're talking about. Psalm chapter 2 and Psalm chapter 1, the introduction to the book of Psalms, that book of worship, that book of prayer, that book of praise. We're going to continue on, my friends. I believe the next time we're together, uh, unless the Lord leads differently, we will be in Psalm 8. Have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Guybe. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of The Kingdom Corner.